So I'm writing a novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also answer listener questions and, sometimes, interview people who write fiction. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. Last time, I discussed two big world-building elements that I'd want to figure out before getting into this episode's topic, which uh, were language and race. I'll let you guess which of those two topics made me a little more nervous as I discussed it. <laughs> Today's topic is called Choosing 17 Stories, but it could just as easily have been called Order of Information. A while back on Twitter, my previously mentioned one of my absolute favorite authors of all time, William Gibson, said that as the years go by and he writes more, he finds himself thinking more and more and more about the importance of the order of information that you give the reader in the book that you're writing. That really stuck with me, and I find myself thinking about it more and more also uh, in my writing, in my reading, in this podcast even. In fact, there's kind of an opposition between the order of information that I relay things to you, the listener in the podcast, and the order of information that took form as I figured out the novel in the Denim Notebook. For example, the last two things I spoke about in the podcast that were also in the notebook in roughly this order were language and race, and before that, the um, before the Vaux reading, uh, the carrier bag theory of fiction. Now, in my speaking to you, it felt to me the logical thing was to then go forward to my choosing the stories that would go into the outline that I kind of discussed a little bit a few episodes back, in part because you guys have been asking about it, right? That was Matt's question from the last episode, and also because I had figured out the big idea, the uh, profile of my protagonist, uh, language and race, the big world-building questions, all these things. It's like, okay, well, now let's, you know, brainstorming stories, everything I've discussed before, I felt was building up to choosing the 17 stories. But where I did that in the notebook, oh well, the order of information, O-O-I, perhaps pronounced ooey, but probably best not pronounced that way, <laughs> was actually like carrier bag theory of fiction, language and race, quickly followed by, you know, me outlining the end of the second act, followed by me outlining the end of the first act, then a bit of the ending of the novel, like the actual plot-wise stuff, as uh, was the big idea I discussed already. Then I did a more thorough character profile of Vo. Then I started a character profile of her best friend for the middle of the book, uh, the first half of the middle. <laughs> then I had a page of failed title brainstorming. Then I did study notes on a book about the medieval understanding of the body. Then I started listing life lessons for Vo in each third of the book. I did a study of the sword and blaster genre slash, you know, Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. And I wrote 21 pages of stray thoughts. All this before sitting down to figure out what stories to include in the novel. Well, I say to include as if they're already written, which, boy, that would be nice. No, I mean, the, which stories I'm going to tell. And that all may sound very chaotic, but honestly, that was an order that worked for me, and I'll get into why that was, I think. But first, I just want to establish that, again, the order that works for me isn't necessarily the order that works for relaying that information, whether it's a story or the story of the story being written, as I'm telling you here. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily work for other people. Okay, so... As we go into the project diary entry for July 11th, 2020, after all that other stuff I just mentioned, 
I have a rough idea of the endings of each act and the novel itself, who Vo is, what she might learn in her travels, and the big animating idea, the carry bag theory of fiction stuff I discussed in episode 6. She, you know, is what's the big idea she's moving towards, plus a mess of themes and ideas I want to play with. Looking at the diary entry here, I see I was feeling very inspired by the first commissioned art for the book by an excellent artist named Peter Violini. It was a triptych of Vaux in each third of the novel. And uh, some friends very kindly got that commission for me as a birthday gift last year. And if you would like to see the art as well as a breakdown of you know what's going on in it, please sign up to be a patron on Patreon. Yes, patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel is where you can get all kinds of goodies, including extra visual behind the scenes stuff that wouldn't really work for me describing it in the podcast. Right, so I'm feeling inspired by that art. I've got all those things figured out so far that I already mentioned, and I'm thinking about how I'm probably looking at about 100,000 words, let's say, for this novel. My first novel's uh, final draft came out to about 93,000. My second was intentionally aiming for around 60,000. That's because that was a young adult type book. And before I decided to self-publish, I thought maybe I would take a stab at publishers who were mostly looking for around that length for young adult novels. For fantasy novels, man, you can go pretty fat. There are some publishers that will take like 140,000 words or even more. But let's keep this manageable. If it goes longer, fine. But I need somewhere to start. So 100,000 words feels good to me because A, it's what I see would fit in with a lot of publishers I might want to approach. And also that should be a nice bit of room for me to tell a whole bunch of sword and sorcery type short stories and get to play with a bunch of the settings, themes, ideas, etc. that I want to play with. So I figure in this diary entry, if my stories average 5,000 words, which is what I tend to go for with my short stories that I submit out and about, because that tends to go well with the short story submissions, and I've got three sort of books in quotation mark. You know when you read a novel and it's like, book one, chapter one, book two, chapter 30, whatever, and so on. I kind of want to do that device, you know, each, three sort of mini novels within the novel. Then that's approximately 6.33 stories <laughs> for each book within a hundred thousand words, though we could round up to 105,000 to get even seven stories in each book. However, I know I want to take a stab at a 20,000 word novella length story like my beloved People of the Black Circle, or the Fafford and Grey Mouser mountain climbing epic, Stardock. I also want more than just two stories each for the two halves of book two, because the middle book of this whole novel I see is kind of having a first half that's more like Fafford and Grey Mouser and a back half that's a little more Robert E. Howard Conan. More details on that later. Arguably, I could give 50,000 words to book two, with 25,000 apiece to books one and three on either side of that. I don't have novellas planned for either, though I could see a longer story for book three happening, certainly for the absolute ending where we tie off the whole thing. There's also the few very short stories we might have, like a Lord Dunsany-style one-to-three-pager in the first book, or even a half-page limerick. I mean, I want to, you know, this is my thing. I want to mess around, so I want to leave myself that freedom. But this doesn't need to be a perfect finished form, obviously, at this point, so I just need something to run with, uh, an organizing principle. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with, you know, July 11th, Oliver here says, I'm going to go with book one, 25,000 words, five stories, including Vo. Book two, 50,000 words, with one 20k novella, 
and six short stories, four going to the first half, loosely inspired by Fafford and Grey Master stories, two on either side of the novella for the back half, loosely inspired by Conan, Robert E. Howard's dealie, including the ending that I've already outlined called The Gibbet. And finally, book three, 25,000 words, five stories, much like book one. Okay, one novel, a short story cycle, told across three big chunks, confusingly referred to as books, <laughs> 100,000 words, and 17 stories. Got it. And then on the next page of the notebook here, wrote, well, <laughs> oh boy, Oliver. Okay, I start with book two. I don't even start with book one. Like, this order of information thing, man, it's ridiculous. Uh, I'm telling you this because in the narrative of me writing this, it makes sense to mention it, but this is not a good way to outline the book proper, I don't think. I start with the candy. I go straight to book two, which is where I plan to lean in the most to the sword and sorcery genre and roots and influences that I love. And so that's just kind of like, what are the things I really want to do? <laughs> so it's after the list for book two that I put the list for book one, followed by the list for book three. This all makes perfect sense. Anyway, it's how I did it, but I'm going to tell it to you in order of book one, two, three. And before I do that, I'm going to tell you this little fun goof of a diary line that came after this, weirdly, on July 18th, where I wrote, After writing a few hundred words of the gibbet last Saturday... I've had the horrible realization that I need to outline this entire novel before I write anything more than a cool sentence here and there. <laughs> I write, Vo is going to grow and be revealed to readers in a linear fashion, so the standalone feel of my stories does not get me a pass on traditional outlining. And then I drew the emoji with like the closed eyes and the flat mouth, just like, ugh. <laughs> so, what stories are going to go into the first third, into book one? Logically, Vo? will be the very first story. That's where we meet her. She gets off the island. Makes sense to me. What are the other four going to be? What do I want? Well, in order to figure out the stories in the middle, I need to know where it's all going. Hence my having figured out by this point the outline for the final story of the first third, the hinge into the big candy middle <laughs> that I was describing a moment ago. And that story is called Disgrace the Stone. And I know that in Disgrace the Stone, I want Vo to have seemingly achieved what she sets out to do from the first story, Vo, which is to become a capital H hero who wanders and solves problems and provides perfect resolution to things, or so she thinks, often using heroic violence. Yes, just like the stories her parents raised her on. And in Disgrace the Stone, I need her to become the person she is in the middle of the book, or that she starts the middle of the book as which is a person who has no interest in being a hero, by and large, and is really just focused on doing things for herself, almost a full-on hedonist, really, in a lot of ways. Okay, so that's the beginning and the end of this first third. And as for how Vo winds up deciding, uh, I don't want to be a hero anymore, actually, that sucks. I'm going to become the character I'm going to be in the middle of the book. Well, that's something I'll talk about in the recording dedicated entirely to the story Disgrace the Stone. The important thing at this point in the outlining is, I know where she's coming from at the start, where she's going at the end, and what's some stuff that could happen in between that could get us there. Well, uh, sometimes it's just as simple as, like, what happens next? And that's how I get the second story, the one that takes place right after Vo, which for now is called The Woman Who Floated Through Time, because I wanted to tell a story exploring what is the point of view of someone who finds Vo half-starved and asleep in the boat that she takes <laughs> as her own at the end of Vo, and eventually floats and hits the mainland. What happens there? How does Vo first 
integrate into the mainland that hasn't seen any of her people for several centuries. Then I knew, I like Fo, and she's young, and, you know, she's like 19 to 24 in this third, and so I want to give her some romance, man, and I want to also have her maybe work as a blacksmith a bit and think about not being a hero. Maybe she gets tempted to, you know, the heck with that, abandon her quest, and heck with the wizard, and all that good stuff. Back in July 11th, that was the middle of the five stories for this segment. But then I discovered things in the outlining of The Woman Who Floated Through Time, story number two, that made me want to tell a story immediately following that one. And that one's going to be called Monstrously Slow. At least that's what it's being called right now, which is a big story about Vogue getting looped into a huge battle. And I have a bunch of themes and ideas and things I want to play with there that I'll get into for that recording. Yeah, I'm going to do a recording for each one of these stories. All right, so then we have our five stories. We have Vogue the sort of beginning or prologue, depending on how you want to look at it. I haven't decided. We've got the woman who floated through time. Vo hits the mainland. We've got monstrously slow. Vo gets sucked into a big battle. And then we've got a much more peaceful, nice story for Vo involving romance, working as a blacksmith, and considering abandoning her quest to become a hero. Between, off camera, between story number four and the final one of this third, and number five, to disgrace the stone, Vo will actually succeed in becoming a hero, go and often have a bunch of adventures, which are not really the things I want to tell you about in this third, so they're off camera, and then we get into her final adventure as a capital H hero, Disgrace the Stone, that is the hinge turning from book one to book two, the candy. So yeah, book one is as much about Vo kind of finding her way in the world and thinking she knows what she's doing, turns out she doesn't by the end, kinda in a way, as it is me figuring out what I'm doing in some ways and finding out what I want Vo to be. The first third, unlike the middle and the end, does not have like one specific author that I'm thinking of over the whole deal. And in some ways, when I just had to feel it out in my head, it almost doesn't feel like sword and sorcery. It feels like the build to sword and sorcery, which definitely is the genre that dominates the remainder of the novel. Is that bad? Should I go over this and make it more sword and sorcery? Well, I'm going to say no for now because I'm not trying to be a slave to the genre. I'm trying to write a good story that people will enjoy. And these five stories in this order feels right to me. So, okay, those five stories I figured out mostly in kind of a continuity, you know, and then this happens and then this happens. And I want this because I like Vo. And this is the big turn I want her to take to become who I need her to be, who I want her to be for the middle of the book. Okay. Middle of the book, my decision-making process was pretty much, I like candy. And by candy, I mean classic sword and sorcery stories from the 30s onward. So, okay, how did that work, Oliver? Well, I had outlined the ending to this as well. The story, the gibbet that I mentioned, which is where the sword and sorcery party of the middle of the book comes to an unfortunate close for Vo. She basically has to pay the bill for living a pretty hedonistic, crazy lifestyle. And I don't just mean hedonism, we always think of like sex and food, but it's hedonistic to just devote your life to your pleasures, whether they're sex or food or violence or thieving or just whatever, just personal gratification, right? And so if book two is going to end with Vo paying the bill for focusing on personal indulgence, a focus that, to give her a little arc in the middle, I think should be her getting more and more and more into just thinking about herself. 
which can definitely be self-destructive and definitely cause you to overlook things you should have paid attention to, well, then at the first story in the middle, I'm going to want her to be new to the idea and just kind of be cautiously indulging herself in ways that book one, though, never would or would only do with a lot of nudging from someone. And who's that someone going to be? Well, remember I said the first half of this is going to be a bit more like Fafford and Grey Mouser, the Fritz Leiber a lovely pair of thieves, the big guy, little guy team I've mentioned many times by now. Okay, Vo's probably going to be the big guy. Who's the little guy going to be? Well, I'm going to figure that out later, but for now I think the first story is very much going to be about Vo meeting her little guy. I say guy, but at this point I figured out very little about that character uh, by July 11th, 2020. It just did about half a page and then thought, nah, I'm going to come back to that. I, I know they will exist, though. I know they will be Bo's friend and they will be a guide and help her out and all that kind of stuff. But I also want to really make them their own person. So what I have written here in this one line for the very first story of the middle is teaming up with quote unquote Grey Mouser and... Vo's prostitute heist. <laughs> because I just love the idea of cutting from the grim ending of book one in Disgrace the Stone to Vo just like in a big luxurious bedroom with like a half dozen prostitutes and a bunch of gold that she's stolen. And she's just, you know, she's like, ah, this is the life. <laughs> heist, because this is the beginning of her life as a thief. And I would love to write a good medieval type heist story. And uh, to be clear, it's not a heist where she steals prostitutes. It's more like I enjoyed the idea of making the prostitutes something other than props and a gag, making them people, which is to me always more interesting. And maybe she recruits the prostitutes as her squad for performing the heist. And it's in this that she winds up meeting Grey Mouser. And I'll get into more detail when I talk about that little episode. So yeah, Vo's prostitute heist and meeting slash teaming up with her Grey Mouser, her little guy, is the beginning. The gibbet is the end. What's in between? Again, candy. This was pretty easy. My choices were based on, like, what stories do I really love? What sort of general story forms do I really love? So right after that, I put... Lean Times in Lankmar, quote-unquote, which is a Fritz Leiber, Fafford and Grey Mouser story that I love that made me laugh so hard with how it ended. And so I don't want to tell, like, my clone of that story. It's more like, okay, that's the vibe and inspiration I'm coming from. I want to tell a really gut-bustingly funny finale story about the two main characters kind of being on the outs and what they get up to along the way. In the next line, I wrote, High Sea Adventure. All right. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. I want to have the, these two have an adventure on the high seas, which could be a reaction to a whole bunch of things. Fafford and Grey Mouser definitely have some nautical adventures. And I want the two friends to have a big high sea rollicking adventure before the final story for the first half of the middle here, where I just wrote Vo and GM, my shorthand for what will be my Grey Mouser, fall out or drift apart. This story is a product of necessity, in quotation marks. I mean, it's all stuff I'm choosing to do. I don't have to do it, but it's a kind of a necessity in the sense that I want to not only have Fafford and Grey Mouser-style stories with Vo, I also want to take a stab at the big man himself and have some Conan-type stories starring her. And though Conan does have kind of a sidekick or buddy or co-protagonist in a few stories, like Red Nails or Wolves Beyond the Border, generally speaking, dude rides alone, and that's what I want Vo to be in the back end here. I imagine part of why Vo and GM fall out will be Vo moving towards a more Conan-ish attitude, which uh, doesn't really gel with GM's more Fafford and Grey Mouser lifestyle. 
Now, I already know I want to tell my version or my stab at something like People of the Black Circle, the 20,000-word novella. So that uses up most of the Conan half of the middle of the book and really only leaves me one slot left because the ending, the gibbet, has already been chosen. That's another 5,000 words. And I don't want to take anything away from the first half of book two, especially because it's already going to be a relatively short period within the overall novel for you guys to meet my Grey Mouser and really become invested in them as well as their friendship with Vos so that it sucks <laughs> when they fall out. So there's really only going to be three Conan-esque stories and one of them is the big novella and one of them is the ending of this entire middle of the novel. Well, okay, the one sentence line here I've got is uh, Lovecraftian fantasy horror, brackets, mysterious ruined city, question mark, and bracket. Yeah, I took two forms or toys or whatever you want to call them that I know I want to play with and put them both in the same sentence and, well, the same line, and I suspect I will try and jam a lot more in there. That's not a lot, and it doesn't have anything to do with character or theme or any of the meteor things, but I think that's okay given that I will definitely have more ideas between now and when I sit down to outline that story, especially because of what I figure out in outlining all of the preceding stories. Alright, let's quickly review. Book 2, the middle of the whole thing, starts off with Vo's prostitute heist slash meeting and teaming up with my grey mouser. That's story number one. Story number two, my lean times in Lankmar, kind of funny heist thing. Story number three, high sea adventure. Number four, Vo and her best friend, Grey Mouser, uh, my Grey Mouser in quotation marks, fall out or drift apart. This is the hinge to the Conan half with Lovecraftian fantasy horror, question mark. People of the Black Circle in quotation marks, my people of the Black Circle, and ending with the gibbet, which brings Vo low after the glorious highs of these stories. Why do I want to bring Vo low? Don't I like Vo? Or is this some sort of really artificial thing where, you know, it's like, Mr. Stories in the story writing book tells you you gotta write stories like this where at the end of the middle, at the end of the second act, that's where the heroes gotta be at their lowest, so it's more satisfying when they kick a lot of ass in act three. I don't know whose voice that is. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's neither of those things. What it is, is me knowing I want to escalate to big, weird, strange stuff in the last third. Big, weird, strange settings, big, weird, strange ideas. With this, I'm thinking of other authors, namely Michael Moorcock with Elric, who went on some pretty crazy adventures, as well as his Eternal Champions series, and Jack Vance and the Dying Earth, which not everybody would agree is sword and sorcery, but Brian Murphy of Flame and Crimson, A History of Sword and Sorcery, wrote a pretty good essay for GoodmanGames.com about how those books can be considered sword and sorcery, which I certainly found convincing. Not that it was hard to convince me, I love those books and all the big weird stuff in them. So after the first two-thirds of the book, which are fairly grounded, I mean, the first story, though, has a blood tornado, yes, I know, <laughs> but compared to some of the stuff I just cited, it's definitely much more grounded. How do we get Vo into a situation where in each story she can be going to completely different planets or planes of existence or even just, you know, deep, deep, deep underground or other weird stuff? How, Oliver? How? <laughs> you ask, I presume, for the purposes of me telling this narrative. Hmm. Well, remember how in book one she's trying to be a big capital H hero and is all about willingly serving others and the greater good? 
And then she turns her back on that crap to be all about serving herself and following her own whimsies and whatnot in the middle, the extremely capital S sword and sorcery middle. Well, if she's not serving others willingly, and if she's not serving herself, then what's left? Serving someone else unwillingly. Why would Vo ever do that? Well, she'd probably have to be brought low and put in a place where she has little or no options whatsoever. A place like a gibbet hanging by the side of the road where she is stuck. By the way, a gibbet's like a hanging cage off a pole, basically. And uh, yeah, she's in this gibbet starving to death and unable to escape. Even her mighty thews cannot break these bars, right? And maybe at the end of that story, she is approached by someone, the only someone who can get her out of there. But there's a price. And if that person is going to put her in their servitude, and I want her to go to all kinds of big, crazy places and literally anywhere in reality I fancy sending her, then that person is going to have to be pretty powerful, a really supernatural kind of patron that she serves. So, okay, there's the device. This big supernatural character um, essentially enslaves her in bondage and sends her off on a different task for each story in the final book until she earns her way out or figures her way out. Who knows? But gets out of his service, let's say it's a him, to go into the finale where she finally encounters the wizard that is mentioned in the very first story. The wizard she swears to kill in book one, although she abandons that vow when she says, ah, the heck with it, I'm going to have prostitutes and heists uh, in the middle. Being the furthest from the beginning, the furthest from where I am in terms of outlining specific stories and all that jazz, this is the vaguest and the quickest to tell you about. Five stories, I know the ending is going to be something currently titled Stairs, and I have a bunch of ideas I know I want to play with. I know the first one will probably be The Underland. I like writing stories about characters going deep underground, so I'm going to lean into that. And for now, the title, uh, The Underland, is also evoking the Robert McFarlane book, Underland, which I love. After that is something I definitely mentioned in episode three, the brainstorming stories episode, Medieval Zone Story. So think like the film Annihilation or Stalker and basically just, yeah, I want to send Vo into somewhere where the normal laws of physics and whatnot have been suspended and are getting worse. What does that mean in a setting where there's magic, Oliver? Well, I'll tell you more about that when I get to outlining that story. But believe me, I have considered that a place where the laws of physics and whatnot are weird is a lot of fantasy stories. <laughs> right. In the third one, I know I want to get some sci-fi chocolate in my fantasy peanut butter. I am intrigued by the sword and blaster sub-sub-sub-genre. And I'm also intrigued by a term from that literary theory terms book I got in school years ago and recently rediscovered as actually being a pretty fun, useful resource as a writer, less so fun as a student. That term is a long German word I will probably mispronounce, but let's give it a whirl. Heimkehrer literature, which in short is a term from 1946 to denote fiction and drama concerned with the plight of demobilized soldiers on their return to a country that had been ruined by war and the difficulties they faced coming to terms with civilian life. Which, like, what? Well, <laughs> I want to take that and kind of blur it with sword and blaster and have Vo wander through it. Uh, yeah, I'll get into more detail later, but I think that's an intriguing combo. And then the last story before the last story, the end of the novel, stares. This last one, I just wrote Little Vo. 
it really, I, I, I'm concerned by it and excited by it. I'm excited by it because I love the idea of Vo somehow through time and space being sent back to the island right before we do the end of this whole thing. Back to the island when she's six. Now, this would be not Vo being reduced to age six again, but more like adult, world-weary, at this point almost 35-ish Vo, who's seen a lot of junk, being sent back to the island back in time and potentially bumping into six-year-old Vo, or, well, let's say six, yeah, whatever, little Vo. I think in a third of the novel that is the most defined by high-concept craziness, having a story that's deeply rooted in character, deeply rooted in our main protagonist across the whole thing, is a good idea. I think having that story right before the ending and having that story evoke the beginning by sending her back to the island is also a good idea. I'm intrigued also to see what I would come up with when I return to the island for the first time in a long time. By that point, I'll have written everything else in the novel, right? <laughs> and whether it's about Vo, 35-year-old Vo, having to perform some last weird mission for her supernatural boss and have to get into hijinks, avoiding messing up the timeline by bumping into her six-year-old self, or if maybe Vo creates like a whole new timeline by bumping into little Vo or completely changes her life or whatever the heck. I don't know. All that stuff is very appealing to me. So why am I not just excited about this story? Why am I also concerned? I'm concerned first and foremost because it feels borderline repetitious for me. In my first novel, Junkyard Leopard, I won't spoil the fine details, but flashbacks to the childhood of the protagonist are a big part of the oomph, in my opinion, of the finale, the big final chapter. And this is not going to be a flashback, but it is essentially a return to childhood right before the finale. The other big concern might just be good old-fashioned anxiety or imposter syndrome or whatever the heck, just some dumb voice in the back of my head telling me I'm bad and I should feel bad. But... Despite the fact that some of these one-line items of stories I want to include uh, read like Lovecraftian fantasy horror, my version of this story, my version of that story, high sea adventure, uh, Vo has some romance, and I don't know, works as a blacksmith. Despite all that, this is the only line, little Vo, with all the stuff I just described in it, this is the only one that feels like it might be just kind of empty. It might just be me going through motions and taking boxes. It might just be me being manipulative and, you know, trying to, like, make you really care about the character. I mean, all writing is manipulation to a degree, right? But it's like when I, I think when you describe writing as being manipulative, you don't mean that the author tried to get an emotional result from the reader using words, because, like, that's storytelling. I think what you mean is that the writing is kind of obviously trying to just hit certain beats rather than do what feels right, do what comes out of everything that's preceded it, do what comes out of the character growth that we've witnessed so far, and instead it's just someone ticking boxes, right? I don't know, it just feels like something that if I saw it in a book or near the end of a movie, I'd be like, all right, well, here's the part where they remind us that we really love the main character, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my concern. And so, well, then there's the finale with the wizard, which uh, I'll talk about when we get to that part. All right. Feels good, man. I, I've got the 17 stories. Things can always change as we move along here. Uh, no joke, in the first third, I skipped over this earlier, 
I did not have that monstrously slow story of her getting pulled into a big battle. I had a line here that reads, dueling wits with a trickster figure and courtly intrigue? But <laughs> along the lines, that fell to the wayside for my war story thing. So yeah, stuff could change, but this feels pretty good. This is definitely where I've been since uh, not long after July 11th last year, 2020. And as of this recording on July 3rd, 2021, I'm still working from this basic model. So I think it's here to stay, maybe get tweaked a little bit, but for sure this is what I'm gonna be working with. All right, one last time before we wrap up here, let's just rattle through all the stories quickly for you. Yeah, we got a novel with a short story cycle told across three thirds confusingly referred to as books. You got three books in the novel, simple, right? First third, is Vo from roughly age 19 to 24 trying to be a capital H hero or something. We have Vo, followed by the woman who floated through time, followed by monstrously slow, followed by the boy and the blacksmith is the romance one, followed by disgrace the stone. Then we got the sword and sorcery middle one, book two, starting with Vo's prostitute heist slash teaming up with quote-unquote Grey Mouser, her new best friend for the middle, uh, first half of the middle of the book. Lean times and Lankmar, quote-unquote, my funny one. High sea adventure. And then Vo and her best friend fall out or drift apart. The hinge into the second half of book two where it's more Conan-y uh, with only really three stories right now. Lovecraftian fantasy horror. People of the Black Circle, quote-unquote, my version thereof, the novella, and The Gibbet, which is the hinge into book three, the weird crap, starting with The Underland, then Zone Story, then Sword and Blaster and Weird German Post-War Stuff, and Little Vo, and Stairs, the final story where she gets to confront the wizard she swore to kill back in Vo at the very beginning. Yeah. So this was about me choosing 17 stories, and you know what? I did it. Good for me. <laughs> Join me next time for the show's very first interview with not one but two special guests. I hope I'll see you there. But I won't see you because it's a podcast. You know what I mean. Stop arguing with me. <laughs> so I'm Writing a Novel features original music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to so I'm writing a novel at gmail.com. Bonus points if you record yourself and send me an MP3 I can cut into the show. Doesn't have to be fancy, using your phone is fine, just keep it clear and concise. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing, at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, leaving a review on iTunes and checking out patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel. Patrons get to be thanked in the final novel, listen to episodes of the podcast a week early, and even enjoy a bonus podcast called So I Wrote a Novel, where I read and comment on chapters of previous works, starting with my first novel, Junkyard Leopard. Thanks for hanging out with me, and I'll see you soon.